0: Good afternoon, welcome to the panel RNZ National, Raj Chakraborty and Sally Wenley with me today. The wild weather in Wellington yesterday has left Air New Zealand with 126,000 people to move in the next three days. The airline had to cancel 181 flights yesterday, leaving many intending travellers stranded. For Air New Zealand, the disruption to flights will roll on for several days as they attempt to clear this backlog. Winter illnesses, including COVID, have also meant Air New Zealand's absenteeism rate is about three times higher than normal. Air New Zealand will be looking also at the possibility of buses so taking, uh, let's get on a couple of people who have been affected Raina Callister, one of the many thousands affected, Raina kia ora. and I know you're in hospital right now so it's so good to have you uh, on the programme with me
1: Kia ora, Anna, Wallace um, yeah, actually home now But Oh uh, good yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: just got home a couple of hours ago Nice, how, how were you affected with these disruptions?
1: Um, so, yeah, I had surgery yesterday. I've been waiting quite a while to get a surgery on my feet that's going to let me get back into sport and mm. be able to walk any distance. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't the ideal timing for us having the surgery because we've got a six, six-week-old baby at home who oh. had a bit of a rough start to life and, and a three-year-old who's uh, just chosen this month to start testing his boundaries more than ever. Um, so what we were really relying on was my mum mm. coming around to support us. Um, and she was going to be flying in yesterday about the same time I went under the knife. Um, But after uh, my wife and mum had spent about three hours waiting respectively at Nelson and Wellington Airport, Mm. um, they finally found out the flight was completely cancelled.
0: Oh dear. Oh dear. So your flight booked, you're waiting, you're going under the knife, you're really stretched uh, on the home front. Uh, How did things pan out?
1: Well, um, Mum had to spend another three hours on the phone to get through to Air New Zealand, which is understandable given the numbers you've just uh, given us. Um, but they were they were really helpful when she got through, but it was still only tomorrow afternoon that she managed to get a flight back, um, or to get a flight in. Mm.
0: So meanwhile, Rainy, you're still waiting for uh, the flight to come, you're still waiting for, for Mum to come in?
1: Yeah, yeah, she'll be coming in tomorrow, but it's... Uh, yeah, my, my wife, Abby, has been an absolute hero in the meantime. Yeah. Um, but yeah. after me and both boys by herself was a bit more than she signed up for. <laughs> the surgery.
0: Well, kia ora, Raina. Uh, thanks for being with us. And um, hope that flight tomorrow goes as planned and all the very best with uh, recovery.
1: Yeah, thanks very much.
0: Very cool. That's Raina McAllister there, one of the thousands affected. And I also talked to Sophie Allen, who took to the road after a cancelled flight. We're currently driving up to Auckland.
2: How many of you
0: are in the car? Uh, there's five of us all together. There's yeah.
2: how many, five, five of you? Yeah, hi.
0: Hello. Hi, hi everyone. Hi, hi. So um, what are you all going to do? What are you going to see? Um, so I
2: think four of us are going to the Tart of the Creator. Oh, all of us now are going to the Tart of the Creator
0: concert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell us about the disruption plans. What happened?
2: So, I mean, yesterday obviously it was quite windy in Wellington and a lot of the flights got cancelled. But I guess we kind of held on to hope that our flight this morning wouldn't. But then it ended up getting cancelled. So I guess we, we posted on big Deals last night saying, does anyone want to ride up to Auckland? Do we're going to drive up in the morning and, yeah, a okay. bunch of people responded. We got so many responses.
0: <laughs> were you panicking a bit because you can't not see Tyler, right?
2: Yeah, no, definitely we would. Um, it was a bit of panic for a moment there. I was worried that no one would reach out. I mean, either way we were going to go up, whether or not we had more passengers to flip petrol with or not. But, um, yeah, it was a
0: bit of a panic moment. Yep. Yeah. and Sophie, what's going to happen to your flight? Are you going uh, is, is it refundable?
2: Yeah, it looks like hopefully we'll just get credit, which isn't bad, but, yeah.
0: No, no, not a full refund, unfortunately. All right, folks. Um, Sophie and team, stay well, stay safe on the road, and um, hey, so uh, all the best for Tyler. I hear it's going to be an amazing show.
2: Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and listen to that. Is Brent Thomas, uh, the chief operating officer for the House of Travel? Kia ora, Brent. Brent, are you with us?
3: I am. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. Have you seen this level of cancellations before, Brent?
3: Oh, this is a major disruption. So we do, through wintertime, obviously get things like fog, which uh, makes a disruption. But for something as big as this, this, this is very, very large. But as you said at the start, it's compounded because of uh, sicknesses through flu and COVID, which means New Zealand isn't able to increase the capacity of flights to the same
4: degree as they would normally to get through a backlog. Yeah. So what does this mean for your business, for your people that work with you?
3: Well, it's busy. You know, in fact, it's been busy, obviously, since the borders opened, but this just compounds it. But, you know, it's frustrating in terms of the length of time that people are having to wait on phones to deal with the Air New Zealand uh, this is something that's been ongoing now for months, actually, and, and they've been slow to respond. Uh, so from a travel agent's point of view, obviously, yes, we get a lot of calls coming in, and we're trying to assist and, and try to see if there's alternatives um, in terms of, you know, as the person did before, get them into a the car rental if they can drive mm. somewhere instead of flying there. That that's the sort of expertise a travel agent brings to, to fix the problems that are in front of them. But this is not just an out of Wellington situation. You know, the flu and the COVID situation has compounded international travel. And again, not just for New Zealand, but around the world. So we're getting a lot of these disruptions uh, for travel over the, over the last few weeks. And they're likely to happen for the next few weeks as well.
4: Yeah. And speaking of the next few weeks, school holidays winding up. Um, gosh, how much of a, an issue will that be for you?
3: Oh, this is a busy time of year simply because of the school holidays, as you say. You know, they are always the peak travel period. And as soon as you have a disruption like this, it does take a long time to clear it and compound it, as I say, because of COVID and flu. So this is this is something that's going to take a while to clear out. Um, and, and our travel agents at House Travel are certainly very, very busy dealing with these kind of disruptions. But again, person who uses a travel agent,
0: it's
5: one phone call and uh, someone will take care of it for them. Raj? Yeah, I mean, being being based in Wellington, I I would not have wanted to be on any plane or ferry yesterday, and you know, it just makes me think that I guess we very much live in a time of uh, no trip is necessarily happening until you've safely been and back, and
2: for reasons,
5: to, you know, like uh, uh, for reasons to do with either extreme weather events or the pandemic, you know, you you've got one or other kind of apocalypse that will that could hold you up but um yeah
0: okay so brent do you have any advice for those who are traveling in the near future i know i've got a a trip booked for a week down south uh in september sometime what's some really practical advice that you can share with our listeners
3: well, the first thing to do is make sure that if you're flying, get to the airport early. It does take a little bit longer sometimes to go through uh, those airports, but also it just means you're a bit more relaxed and you can come and go through the screening, et cetera, et cetera. I'd always recommend for families, uh, if they're travelling, take things to entertain the kids, um, whether that be a, a device of some sort, whether they are to reading books, uh, but also make some, take sure you've got some snacks with you as well, just to buy time, should there be any delays. And, and the other thing is just to make sure that uh, if there's any other consequential impacts, because flights are only one thing, but, you know, have you got a car rental hotel at the other end? Yeah. If there is a disruption. You know, speak to your travel agent, and we can work through that with them as to what alternatives there are. And as I say, this is something that's just not exclusive to New Zealand. This is this is an issue that's facing right around the world at the moment. And, and so people need to have just that little bit of flexibility, allow themselves a little bit more time.
0: Very good, Brent Thomas. There from the House of Travel, and one thing that I am actually completely scared about uh, panel is, uh, and I can r- recall twenty years ago uh, losing my luggage, and it was just the most frightening experience because I, you know, I, I I went to the hotel, I opened it up, and what was on the top of my luggage? It was an A keto outfit, but oh. I don't do a keto.
4: <laughs> oh, we were you.
0: Well, it was a flight to um, – I think it was a flight from Dunedin to Wellington, and I opened it up, and I got the – I actually just got a very much – I got a bag that looked exactly like my old bag. So I took the wrong bag, and here was the wow. Keto outfit, and all of a sudden right, I thought, oh, my goodness me, uh, what to do? Should I just – you so know, what did you do? I took it back to the airport. I said, well, I don't do a keto. Uh, here's the, here's the <laughs> luggage. Where's my luggage? It took a while to sort out. But someone actually texted in, Raj. Um, how was your trip to India? I mean, have you had any sort of cancellations uh, to note or lost luggage issues?
5: I have had in the past. This particular trip was very smooth, um, luckily. But your experience reminds me that it could have been a whole lot worse because – one of my absolute favorite movies, which is called *Frantic* and stars Harrison Ford, um, is precisely about uh, this American couple who bring home a who bring a suitcase uh, to their hotel room in Paris where they're visiting, and um, and it's a lot worse than an Aikido suit because what they've done <laughs> is they brought in a suitcase that was carrying a consignment that some very dangerous people were waiting for, um, so. Your situation has led to some really great movies, and so it could have been a lot worse.
4: <laughs> oh God! Well, I I had a, a a little incident on a plane. I was going to Melbourne, and um, I'd got a bit of duty free grog, and it was up in the thingy above my head, and then um, everybody rushed off the plane, and uh, the flight attendant passed me my bag, and I looked into it, and it was the wrong bag. But you know what? Yeah. It had far superior range of alcoholic th- drinks than mine did. It had um, French champagne and top gin and some cognac.
0: So what did you do with it?
4: And I said to the flight attendant, I said, oh, I said, this is the wrong one. She said, oh, is that a big issue for you? I said, no, it's not. I said, she <laughs> said, well, just go for it. So I did. <laughs> did you? Yep.
0: Yep. Amazing. Sally Wendley, Raj Shuk reporting. Uh, someone says, big kudos to Janine at the Maryvale House of Travel who managed to rebook my son to Thailand after he missed his connecting flight because of Wellington rain last night. She was also moving officers today. 19 pass for the panel. From today, travellers cannot bring any meat products from Indonesia to New Zealand. There are foot and mouth disease outbreaks in China, Malaysia and Indonesia we don't want it here. To give us the latest updates, Biosecurity NZ Deputy Director-General Stuart Anderson joins us. Kia ora, Stuart. Kia ora, bonos. What biosecurity measures have been put in place in light of this latest outbreak overseas?
6: Yeah, you know, look, uh, we've put a lot of focus on the border, obviously. Um, that's where we want to you know, put our focus, keep it out, not let it get in. Uh, so, you know, what we've done is we've ramped up a lot of... Uh, communication around travellers that may be going to indonesia certainly those that are coming back when they get here so people will receive information from us uh when they go there uh, on the plane on the way back there will be additional announcements on plane reminding people what to do Uh, and then at the border when they come through um, they will be screened uh, anyone who's come from indonesia will will be screened by by our biosecurity staff range of questions asked of them, Uh, their suitcases, their footwear, other risky goods will be examined, uh, disinfected, uh, um, sterilised if necessary. They'll also need to walk through a uh, disinfectant foot bath. Um, Goods goods are all x-rayed. We've got dogs in the airport as well. Uh, and then yes as of today um, we've put another measure in just um, prohibiting any even even cooked or processed meat we have already had a prohibition or ban on on any raw uncooked meat the highest risk stuff so that's that's always been there what we're doing today is just um, really any any sort of meat derived product that might have um, cooked uh, treated meat and uh, best just not not to have it coming in here for the time being um, from indonesia
0: So you're taking it quite seriously given the uh, measures you put in place and that is because if, and it's just an if, it does get into Aotearoa, it's a big issue.
6: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's, it's uh, right up the um, biggest, biggest, uh, biggest biosecurity risk to New Zealand and all the implications of that. So it's always right up there on our alert level and all the things we do. Uh, the fact that it's in Indonesia, um, a country that hasn't had it for, you know, uh, well, upwards of 30 years since they had foot and mouth disease. So another country in the broader region, a bit closer to us. Um, the overall risk, uh, you know, is still, is still low from Indonesia but our alert level is certainly heightened um, for the exact reason. It's a disease we definitely don't want uh, to have in New Zealand.
0: Sally.
4: If it did come to New Zealand, what animals will it affect and how will biosecurity and the government treat them? What will it do?
6: Yeah, so it it affects all all cloven-hoofed animals. Uh, So, you know, uh, cows, sheep, pigs, deer, goats, alpacas, llamas, um, so, you know our main animals that we farm here in New Zealand, and agriculture are so important to the economy, so affects uh, all of them uh spreads really easily and quickly um, causes serious illness in in the animals um, and uh you know generally well you know they, well they might get better some of them, but generally you know they really unwell um, and they need to be slaughtered uh, so um so you know all all of that obviously uh you know, leads to the big concern. Uh, and what we would need to do, uh, obviously it would depend on uh, where and how quickly it's detected, um, the fact that it does spread quickly. The main thing is to, to find exactly where it is, where it could have spread to and immediately uh, you know, lock down or, or contain those farms or places where infected animals could have been, um, clear those properties. Uh, with the, the main goal is to prevent it spreading as quickly as possible. To prevent it spreading, uh, so, it, so it doesn't get too far, you know, across farms or across regions in the country.
4: Now, um, I understand that we import palm kernel as stock food. That comes from Indonesia, doesn't it? Could it be, yes. could it be spread through a product like that that comes from Indonesia?
6: Yeah, absolutely. We do import palm kernel as a feed from Indonesia. Uh, so the actual the actual risk of uh, foot and mouth disease coming through in or on palm kernel is low. Uh, we've done a lot of work on that. Um, uh, Malaysia we, we import uh, as well, and they've got foot and mouth disease. So um, the manufacturing treatment process with the heat involved um, would kill or does kill foot and mouth disease, even if it were on the palm kernel. Um, But we have really strict uh, measures in place around how it has to be treated and handled to be imported here. Um, Like I say, the heat aspect of it, uh, safe storage, uh, not coming into contact with any animals uh, in the country, right through to being put on the ship and landed here. Um, Those have all been in place for quite some period of time. What we have done, though, with the Indonesia situation, uh, we have recently just sent um, two of our staff over to do an audit. Uh, on the ground uh, inspection in indonesia of um, of a number of of facilities uh, across a number of the provinces in indonesia to get a further assurance that all those standards are required uh, through the process yeah. of being adhered to
5: raj yeah um, reading the article reminded me of the state of high alert in 2020 and 2021 when the and how the entire country held its breath at the slightest possibility that covid had sneaked in and and now farmers will be feeling like that but um kind of in my ignorance i wanted to ask if it's very expensive or otherwise unfeasible to uh, vaccinate cattle um to vaccinate cattle against foot and mouth uh
6: no look vaccination uh, is vaccinations are available and they are a treatment for for foot and mouth disease um we have uh, we have arrangements in place for a supply of vaccines already, uh, uh, as an insurance, if you like, um, and, and we have done for a long period of time. Uh, New Zealand, other countries do that too. Uh, so, look, it is vaccination is an option. Um, the, uh, the 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 first priority, like I said, would be contain as much as possible, keep it small, uh, and generally, you know, we, we, when you're in that stamp it out phase, uh, it's slaughtering the animals. But uh, but vaccination is an option, and it's in our toolkit um, as a set of options. Right. Where we where we have to would we have to deal with it here?
0: Nice yeah. to have you on the program, Stuart Kiota. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, Stuart Anderson, the Biosecurity NZ Deputy Director General. Now, if you are hearing a bit of rustling and shaking, maybe even a couple of uh, uh, snores in the background, it is uh, not Raj and it is not Sally. We have a dog uh, in the studio.
4: G'day, Billy. How you
0: doing? He's uh, so. Is it is that his yeah, name?
4: Yep, yeah, Billy. Yeah. Um, he's just chewing on the doorstop. Yeah. I'm sorry, Wallace. That's all right. Is, yeah. is Billy okay? Just yeah. you all right, buddy? Yeah, Billy. Billy is a, a hey, beagle spaniel cross. What's he chewing on? He's got the doorstop. All right. Oh, is that okay? We're to ask I'll, Paul Bushnell, radio, actually, about that. I'll buy Radio New Zealand no, another it's
0: all right. one. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, beautiful little dog. Anyway, if, if, if you're here, if you. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the first time we broadcast with a dog in-house. So uh, welcome, Billy. A uh, beautiful dog. And we are going to be talking about dogs uh, later in the program. Um, now, uh, Wallace says, someone, in today's environment, I find it no longer appropriate to expect people's lamington preference to be binary. It is, I find it offensive in an old school view <laughs> to say that people should prefer raspberry or chocolate, uh, it is a kind of intolerance that you persist on, uh, a tolerance of diversity, and I think that it could be stamped out. A recent research has proven that this preference doesn't exist, so people do tend to make their preferences along the choice of a spectrum. So thank you for that. We are talking about Ra- uh, Lamington's later in the programme. Uh, to some of your feedback here of the Friday Mailbag, Uh, Pukekohe motorway to go after 60 years And Berris emailed and he said As a child in the early 60s An annual trip to the Grand Prix was a special family event We would leave Rotorua in the early hours of the morning In the 1937 Ford 10 Wrapped in blankets, no heater In order to get to Ardmore And later Pukekohe In time for the racing We saw sterling moss, wind and teeming rain Wow, I recently found a tiny black and white photo of Denny Holm doing a victory lap wearing a laurel wreath around his neck. I wasn't that interested in the racing, but I have fond memories of my dad's enthusiasm and how he would pretend to be stealing moss on the long drive home. as an end of an era, uh, says Berris. We also talked to um, uh, someone about... The fact that there are 70,000 New Zealanders still on the restricted. We talked about the barriers to getting a full licence. Nigel says, I work for Corrections, and there are more and more people on community work because they've broken the rules on restricted for years. Most say the cost. It's sad. They lose their licence for one year and one day, so they have to start over. Another one here, I applaud Taita College Noah Hutt for purchasing a car and having driver instructions for their pupils to gain their licence before they leave school. That sounds like a great initiative. Um, You've got your full licence, Sally?
4: Yes, I do, yeah. And actually I I started on a tractor, I think, when I was about 10, um, coming from a farm. And so it was just part of our life. Um, Tractor and a ute and feeding out hay and all of that sort of thing. Um, so you so learn on fortunate. a farm,
0: you get, to, you, you get your, your full license very early. Yes. Yeah. Yep. All yeah, right. it, well, was,
5: it was just, just part
4: of it. What mm. about
0: you, Raj?
5: Yeah, I, I, I have mine too. But one interesting fact about uh, people who stay on restricted for years, do you remember several years ago there was a story that this is the case with quite a few All Blacks? And this is not because of expense. It's just because their schedules are so busy that they don't go, get around to passing their full test, and so they remain on restricteds for a really long time. And since then, I had, I've had an image of these highly accomplished rugby players who are on restricted and can't drive home by themselves at night.
0: Raj, so where was that question to Ian Foster this <laughs> afternoon? How many All Blacks on the restricteds? You amazed <laughs> me. That I did not know. That we have to follow up. That's extraordinary. Is that a true story?
5: It, it was in the paper several years ago. I don't know whether any among the current crop of All Blacks, but it, there were some big names uh, in this story a few years ago. Yeah. Um,
0: we also discussed the issue of uh, taking time off from work, and we got quite a response to this. People feeling a little bit guilty uh, and employers not always being up to the task regarding their obligations for um really uh, looking after their staff, but one person said, I work for KiwiRail and our management are great. If you're sick, you're sick and we are told in no uncertain terms don't come to work and make your mates uh, sick. Wallace said, Simon, I've recently negotiated unlimited paid sick leave in the non-profit sector where employers are otherwise struggling financially. They understand the financial impact of people coming to work sick and spreading illness and how motivating it is for staff to be trusted, to take as much paid sick leave as needed, when you need it. They've done the sums and realised it's a net benefit for the organisation. If non-profits with little resources can do this, so can private business
4: I think think that's a really good thing to do and I I, know a not for profit, well it's a charity um, and once a fortnight they have one day off but that day off is to go and do volunteer work somewhere and it's actually um, the head office of writing for the disabled and most of them go out to a to a writing for the disabled group and they do everything from picking up horse poo to mm. grooming to making cups of tea and it, it's actually a really positive thing. It helps with camaraderie and to feel good outside yeah. an office.
0: Mm. <laughs> Sally Wenley Raj, Chuck Aborde with me this afternoon on the panel.